and welcome to PHM in Your Practice, the podcast where we explore population health management from a radiology perspective. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today I'm joined by Dr. Deborah S. Dyer. Dr. Dyer practices at National Jewish Health in Denver, Colorado, where she serves as professor and chair of the Department of Radiology. In addition, she heads the Lung Cancer Screening 2.0 Committee at the ACR. Dr. Dyer, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, please tell me uh, to start off about your role at National Jewish Health and particularly as it relates to lung cancer screening. Sure. So National Jewish Health is kind of a unique place. It's a chronic respiratory disease hospital. And so all of our radiologists are cardiothoracic radiologists. (laughs) And um, most of our patients have underlying uh, chronic lung disease, um, and then associated diseases related to the heart. And um, so we have some cardiologists, we have rheumatologists as referring providers, but most of our referring providers internally are pulmonologists. So we started a lung cancer screening program around 2011, right after the release of the National Lung Screening Trial results. And because we have so many pulmonologists at our facility, it was just kind of a (laughs) no-brainer for us to go into lung cancer screening because we had so many patients that were eligible, underlying COPD, patients with lung fibrosis, and so forth. So I became the director. I um, reached out to several folks in our pulmonary division, and then we also have a wonderful informatics team that supports research at National Jewish. And I just feel so fortunate because while I am the director of the program, really the success of our program has been due to the team. You know, I was wanted to ask about uh, screening in general. I know your particular exper- expertise is in lung cancer screening, but how do you believe uh, zooming out, you know, that screening in general, whether it be breast cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening, of course, lung cancer screening, how do you believe uh, all of that relates to population health management? Well, certainly I think screening is extremely important for early detection. And it's interesting that in lung cancer screening, we've also found that it can really have an impact on risk factors in that really for lung cancer screening, we know it's a teachable moment for smoking cessation, which is, of course, a high risk for lung cancer. So we, our program is actually a centralized program, meaning we have five nurse practitioners who see all of our patients for shared decision-making, and then they manage the results. Those folks are also trained as tobacco treatment specialists. So when the patients do their visits for shared decision-making, if they're current smokers, they also, um, if they are interested and willing, can have a session on uh, smoking cessation. So I think screening can, you know, have an impact even beyond just what we normally think of as the early detection through the imaging study. 
keeping on that 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 sort of train of thought, um, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected the really good steady progress that was being made with respect to screening um, potential lung cancer patients in, in your view? Yeah, so it, it just is, feels <sighs> discouraging in a way that, um, you know, I think we were in January, we had really started to build momentum. I think so many of the stakeholder groups around the country, you know, American Cancer Society, American uh, Lung Association, and all the various groups go to foundation. We were all kind of working together and on the same page. And we have our Lung Cancer Screening 2.0 committee in the ACR we really felt we were making progress and even some of the BRFIS data had come out in uh, the last year that showed that there had been a really significant increase in lung cancer screening. You know, some programs up to maybe 12, 15% of eligible patients being screened, whereas a lot of places um, were still experiencing 3 to 4%. But we knew that there were places making progress and we felt that. And we had had our best month yet as far as screening in January and had so many referrals. So I felt that we had momentum. And then, of course, in March, for good reason, uh, that all halted. We just didn't feel it was appropriate. Um, and following the guidelines of the CDC and the ACR, we did not want to bring patients in for screening CTs. So I think we're, I, I don't, we aren't going to be starting from scratch, but I think we have to really now work to rebuild that momentum. I think part of that is certainly to be aware of concerns that patients may have, referring providers may have about, you know, safety of the patients coming in for exams. And we, whereas before that was really a non-issue, I think that's going to be a really key thing for programs to be aware of, to just make sure that you are providing a safe environment, but then also to reassure the providers and patients. That, that's a really good uh, kind of wide wide view of what's going on and, and all of the um, collaboration that's been going on. Have you seen, personally witnessed, uh, the the, maybe the uncertainty that's been caused to patients by, as you mentioned, the CDC guidance on postponing routine, routine screening. Uh, do you have, have any stories arisen that, that have really stuck with you about how this is affecting people on the ground? I would just say that um, patients were very aware and concerned. So when we decided to stop screening in March, we have two program coordinators who do all of our scheduling and pre-screening over the phone to make sure patients meet eligibility. They started reaching out to patients then, of course, to postpone their lung cancer screening CTs. But at the same time, we had patients calling us and saying that, you know, they didn't feel safe coming in. And so I think if, if there was any bright side to this, we did feel like the patients that in our program were engaged, were aware, and when our 
program coordinators would talk to them on the phone. You know, they, they had an opportunity even back in March to say, you know, we understand your concerns and, and we share them and we want to make sure that when it's, we'll, we'll bring you back in when it's the right time. So I don't have any negative experience related to that. In fact, our patients were just very, I, I was pleasantly surprised, very engaged and aware of the need to postpone. And um, it it worked out to be a an opportunity, if you think of it as a touch point with patients, to remind them that we are concerned about them and we're there for them and we're going to do the right things by them. So it it has worked out well. And now that we are starting to resume our screening program, we have that same opportunity. We're obviously reaching out individually to patients and um, telling them that we are ready and we want to schedule them. And if if they're comfortable, we want to schedule them <laughs> um, and to address any concerns they may have. What potential downstream health effects might this particular disruption, irrespective of future disruptions, this particular uh, first wave, uh, in, uh, uh, what kind of disruption do you, do you see that having uh, for this distinct population of lung cancer patients down the road? Well, uh, you know, the biggest concern is, are we missing cancers, early stage cancers? And if so, then if we delay screens or follow-up scans, certainly, then the concern is that the cancers could be identified then at a later stage. Now, we have some wonderful guidelines that have come out about how can you safely postpone and I think that a couple months aren't going to make a difference. Uh, so hopefully we can get patients back in and they won't go for longer than a couple months delay. The bigger concern is honestly that whole idea of just losing momentum. And if anybody now has a hesitancy about uh, whether it's the referring provider or the patient about whether they should come in, I'm just worried that they could default to, well, let's just put this off for a while kind of thing. And I don't know. I don't know how many providers and patients are going to feel that way. Um, it, there's just probably going to be a group out there that will be hesitant and reluctant to come in. And, and of course, we just have to be aware of that. And we don't want to nag people. <laughs> um, but I think we might need to give them, you know, maybe a little extra time and more reassurance. But if that that is a whole element that, you know, my goodness, we didn't have to deal with before. We were on such a positive upswing. And so now we just, I think, are going to have to be very conscious of there may be an element or a group of folks that are just going to be reluctant and we'll have to deal with them as we should and can and um, be sensitive. Now, one of the things that is uh, honestly been a 
A good thing out of COVID, if there is anything to identify, is the whole telehealth move. And so because we have a centralized program and all of our patients see a nurse practitioner before their CT, we have converted that shared decision-making visit to telehealth now. And our whole institution has moved a lot of visits to telehealth, so it was easy for us to build this shared decision-making via telehealth because we were doing it in so many other types of patient visits. The advantage of that, of course, is that you can do that ahead of time. You don't have to do it on the day of the CT. And it's an certainly an opportunity over the phone to answer patient questions, provide reassurance, and not only do your regular shared decision-making, uh, but um, to address the COVID issues or questions patients may have. So with doing that visit via telehealth, then when the patient does come for the CT, one of the things that we're doing is we're then avoiding any time that a patient may have had in the waiting room waiting for their shared decision-making visit. And of course, they're avoiding the face-to-face visit uh, for the shared decision-making. And then the patient can come to the front door and go right up to radiology. And we have really streamlined our processes in radiology as far as obviously the waiting room has changed in a configuration. But we're also just getting patients in as quickly as we can for their CTs. So it's a literally a quick in and out. Um, I, I think in a way this has probably improved our efficiency and we, you know, don't want the patients to feel like they are just being completely rushed, but I think that, you know, they're appreciative of the efficiency. And so it's an opportunity, I think, to for programs to look at how they've set up their processes for imaging and utilize, you know, if there's anything good coming out of all of this, to be able to streamline processes. Have you uh, developed uh, strategies, or, or maybe you're currently developing them, uh, to, to, to get patients who, who may want to come to you but may not be able to have the, uh, uh, whether it's the public transportation or, or even a car or, or the means to get to you, um, have you given any, um, a lot of thought to you know, how to get those patients in? So, um, yes, um, certainly we need to be aware of individual patient circumstances and with everything, we've always had financial counselors available to patients as far as managing co-pays and that sort of thing. But maybe to direct more to, let's say, a population of folks that um, are underserved, our lung cancer screening program is affiliated with two of the federally qualified health centers here in Denver. And so those patients are referred to us for their lung cancer screening CTs. And we have a wonderful program where we have trained the folks at the federally qualified health centers, the nurse practitioners there are very engaged doing the shared decision-making and 
basically replicating what we do centrally at National Jewish with our nurse practitioners. So we have just coordinated so that the patients can go to the health center for their care like they normally do and all they they need to do for us is come to us for the CT. But then we manage the reminder letters and the results and you know make sure that we keep them in our tracking system and all that. So our outreach to um, at least two underserved areas is through these health centers. And um, it's, it's, <laughs> the discouraging thing is we had just <laughs> last year got that all in place and it was really ramping up. And of course, that came to a halt in March too. So we are going to be uh, in the process of rebuilding that reconnecting. And um, I think it'll come back because it was it's really the same folks and the same people and we have the same processes in place that worked before. And uh, so I think that's not unique to COVID that we've had that outreach. Um, but I think that lung cancer screening programs if they don't already, could provide some outreach to the federally qualified health centers because they already have the infrastructure, they have the networks to support patients who may need additional assistance in numerous ways. So that has really helped as far as our outreach for our program. Well, Dr. Dyer, thank you so much for the engaging conversation today. I really appreciate you joining us. Oh, sure. Well, thank you. And I think we're all in this together, as we've heard many times. And so we'll get through it together. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. I couldn't say it better than, than that. Well, and thank you to our listeners. This has been PHM in Your Practice. See you next time. <laughs>